You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. A Fish Called Wanda, which came out in 1988 and was directed by Charles Crichton. It stars Jamie Lee Curtis, John Cleese, Kevin Kline, Michael Palin, Maria Aitken, Tom Georgeson, Cynthia Cleese, and Patricia Hayes. The genre would be raunchy heist comedy. Otto is a man of many talents. Hey, great fish. Oh, a little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken Walker is a man of few words. You tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. Thirteen millions, my friends. And Wanda. Do you speak Italian? Molto pericoloso. Is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime. To 20 million. To a job well done. But it turned into something... George moved the loot? Less than perfect. Disappointed! So they turned to a lawyer named... Archie Leash! Leash. George is going to tell him what the diamonds are. With Wanda as the bait. I want you to make love with me. Pop. Nothing, nothing. He's really hooked. I thought you weren't jealous. I'm not! I don't believe in jealousy. It's for the weak. Are you totally deranged? You're afraid so, old chap. John Cleese. Will you leave immediately, please? Jamie Lee Curtis. Kiss me there. Kevin Clyde. Put the other one up. Michael Palin. May I kiss you, Ken? No, you can't! A fish called Wonder. A smashing. Oh, dear. Comedy. Looking back, the year 1988 was just a fun year for movies. And you could get a sense of that just from the Oscar nominees. For a change, there was actually an appreciation for over-the-top villains in full-on comedies for that year, including nominations for Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, Dean Stockwell in Married to the Mob, and this gem of a performance by Kevin Kline, who after years of playing blandly nice guys, finally channeled his inner douchebag by winning the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role here as Otto, the, quote, ugly American to end all ugly Americans. They get rigor mortis in the prime of life in this country, standing there with their hair clenched, just counting the seconds till the weekend so that they can all dress up like ballerinas and whip themselves into a frenzy. Hysterically bumbling his way around London while quoting Nietzsche. Although looking back at those Oscars, I have to admit I'm still a bit raw that Alan Rickman was not nominated for his seminal villain turn in Die Hard. But that's another conversation. And Kevin Klein is awesome in this. He is bringing it in every scene, whether he's pretending to debrief British neighbors on a KGB agent who he has in his custody, <laughs> or publicly declaring to Michael Palin's Ken as he walks down the street. I love watching your ass when you walk. Is that beautiful or what? Don't go near him. He's mine. Or when in the final moments of coital bliss with Jamie Lee Curtis's Wanda, we see his face fall into a genuinely goofy expression as he reaches climax. His auto is all 100% id, all the time. And yes, we have seen gifted comedic actors like Jim Carrey or Robin Williams play lunatics like this before, but never with such craft or style. You can see the benefits of Klein's stage background here as he is reaching a delicate balance of playing the humor to not only the audience, but those immediately around him. It's a glorious comic performance which earns its place among the best. You told me you were not planning to see it! Because I knew you would come along and fuck it up! 
I was dealing with something delicate, Otto. I'm setting up a guy who's incredibly important to us who's going to tell me where the loot is and if they're going to come and arrest you, and you'll come loping in like Rambo without a jockstrap, and you dangle him at a fifth-floor window. Now, was that smart? Okay. Was it shrewd? Was it good tactics, or was it stupid? Don't call me stupid. Oh, right. To call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. I've known sheep that could outwit you. I've worn dresses with higher IQs. But you think you're an intellectual, don't you, ape? Apes don't read philosophy. Yes, they do, Otto. They just don't understand it. Now, let me correct you on a couple things, okay? Aristotle was not Belgian. The central message of Buddhism is not every man for himself. And the London Underground is not a political movement. Those are all mistakes, Otto. I looked them up. And amazingly, he's not the only one bringing the heat here. Oh no. Jamie Lee. Now Oscar winner Jamie Lee. She proves again a few years after she shocked folks in trading places that she is a gifted comedian in her own right. Halfway through, she is striking up a romance with John Cleese's Archie. And even though she is showing off her expected physical traits to disarm him, as you do, she even goes further starting to riff on how stupid Otto is. And Cleese, who is obviously no comedy slouch himself, starts to laugh uproariously. Just the way she says in a typical dumb guy voice. And when he heard your daughter's name was Portia, yeah. he said, why did they name her after a car? <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly and obvious, but you're just so disarmed with how she sells lines like that, and you're laughing right alongside Cleese in that moment. And of course, Cleese and Palin are the two Monty Python veterans representing the funny for the British side of the pond here, And they acquit themselves perfectly playing against the brasher, louder Americans. Now, whereas Cleese's performance is mainly as a straight man and often reactive, Michael Palin has to stutter for most of his screen time. And it's a tribute to just how endearing his character is that we don't end up laughing as much at his stutter as his simple, mostly non-vocal reactions to those around him. He's a gifted silent comedian, too. Yes, this film is even able to milk laughs at the expense of dogs being murdered. It all works perfectly to set up his priceless reaction to when that nice old lady who owns those dogs finally meets her fate. (laughs) Throughout A Fish Called Wanda, we see this again and again, that you can laugh at almost anything. It's just all about the execution, pun intended. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Comedy movie scores can be very hit or miss. Most tend to actually not be that memorable. And with this movie's complete lack of needle drops, it often relies on a varied orchestral score, which even tries to be affecting, emotional at times. And get this, it actually succeeds. The score comes from John Duprez, a British composer and pop musician who used to be a member of the British New Wave band Modern Romance in the early 80s before eventually going out on his own, mostly composing for movies and TV. Now, he does not have an extensive resume, but there are some interesting highlights, including several projects for the Monty Python troupe, makes sense because they're here, and interestingly, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies of the 90s. And in the 2000s, he even collaborated on the songbook for the award-winning Broadway musical Spamalot with former Python cast member Eric Idle. I have to say that listening to it now upon re-watching this movie, the score is actually sneaky good. Overall, this is a very brash, sometimes mean-spirited comedy. But when it goes for some emotion, the score comes through in the clutch every time. 
There's a touching central theme consisting of about seven notes, which we hear throughout, played with various instruments, but it's never more effective than with a standalone classical guitar with 12 strings. The theme, of course, is actually called Wanda's Theme. And for me, the actual musical highlight plays over the end credits, where it sounds as if Duprez and his orchestra just cut loose with a variety of instruments while repeating that main theme in various forms. Now, on first listen, this can sound a bit cheesy, akin to your typical 80s cool jazz house band, which you would hear at a bar at the time, including all the sexy 80s sax and funky electric guitar that you can handle. But for me, it just works. It ends the movie on a genuinely sweet note. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. It's kind of rare for a balls-out R-rated comedy like this to check off so many boxes for success, but this one pretty much did it. It won Oscars and BAFTAs, received critical acclaim, had great word of mouth, and of course was a major box office smash, making around $180 million worldwide on a roughly $8 million budget. It was a career boon for each of the main stars as well, though often forgotten in the shuffle of hype for this movie was likely the invaluable work from several in the supporting cast, whom our stars played so well against. So I'd like to give a shout out to one of them. Chief among the supporting cast would have to be the British veteran TV and film actress Maria Aitken, who plays Wendy, the snooty put-upon wife to Cleese's Archie Leach. As written, her role is often thankless, but she really delivers some exemplary work in a few key scenes with Cleese, especially one about halfway through with Cleese and Kevin Klein. It's a scene where Wanda has visited Archie's house stealthily to attempt to romance him into giving up information on where the stolen diamonds have been hidden, as he is George's barrister slash lawyer. And in a jealous rage, Kevin Klein's Otto has also followed her there, unbeknownst to her. And wouldn't you know it, when Otto appears, someone else unexpectedly comes home to surprise all three of them. And that would, of course, be Aitken's Wendy. Now, Wanda has hidden in the back of the room, so she can't be seen. But here comes Otto attempting to improvise his way out of the situation. And what result is one of the more inspired comedic exchanges in the movie with some definite gems from Klein. Um, how is the, how is the opera then? It finished early, didn't Whose it? Whose car is it? Mine. <clears throat> Beauty, isn't it? Where'd I leave my drink, Archie? Ah. Who is this? Don't you know? How do you do, Mrs. Leach? I'm uh, Harvey Manfrenson. I'm uh, with the CIA. CIA? Correct, ma'am. I was uh, just telling your husband here before I uh, <clears throat> had to go to your beautiful bathroom. Uh, we've uh, got a high-ranking KGB defector in a safe house near here. We're debriefing him as of now, and uh, we're just uh, checking all the houses in the neighborhood. For what? For KGB. Is there any danger? No, 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 no. 
But as good as Kevin Klein is here, you gotta give props to Aitken, who is pitch perfect with her clipped dialogue to challenge his character. Especially the way she so effortlessly rattles off the fake name that he gives her. Mr. Manfriend Jen Sen Jen. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> but major props to her for coming through with that. She just proves to be an invaluable comic foil for actors like Klein and Cleese. Uh, keep everyone informed. So there's no panic, ma'am. But isn't it a secret? You have no idea how secret. Well, why are you telling everyone? It's a smokescreen. What? Double bluff. Look, you obviously don't know anything about intelligence work, lady. It's an XK Red 27 technique. My father was in the Secret Service, Mr. Manfred Jensen, and I know perfectly well that you don't keep the general public informed when you are debriefing KGB defectors in a safe house. Oh, you don't, huh? Not unless you're congenitally insane or irretrievably stupid, no. Don't call me stupid. Why not not? Oh, you English are so superior, aren't you? Well, would you like to know where you'd be without us, the old U.S. of A., to protect you? I'll tell you. The smallest fucking province in the Russian Empire. That's what. So don't call me stupid, lady. Just thank me. Well, thank you for popping in and protecting us. If it wasn't for us, you'd all be speaking German. Singing Deutschland, Deutschland, Uberra. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, along those lines, obviously many of the comedic highlights of this movie zero in on the stark differences, or at least perceived differences, between Americans and British. To his credit, John Cleese also has many nice moments keeping the British end up, especially towards the end when we see him goad Otto, who's bragging about America's, quote, winning tradition by citing... You know, like winners. Winners? Yeah. Winners. Winners like North Vietnam? Shut up! We did not lose Vietnam. It was a tie. I'm telling you, baby, they kicked it a last there. Boy, they whooped your hide real good. No, they didn't. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, no, they didn't. Shut up! Yeah, their whole back and forth about this is pretty uproarious. And the fact that the screenplay can even go there... In the 80s, at the height of this country's Vietnam remembrance, the whole Vietnam conversation in this country, the aftermath, it was just kind of a raw nerve. Nobody was thinking to laugh at it. Well, it just goes to show how this crew for A Fish Called Wanda was just firing on all cylinders, and they could wring laughs out of anything. This brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP, the person of people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This whole crew was led by director Charles Crichton, who had been a journeyman director for 40-plus years before this and was deservedly nominated for both Best Director and Best Screenplay, which he co-wrote with John Cleese. This sadly ended up being Crichton's last movie, but what a note to end on. Together, Cleese and Crichton constructed a heist farce which in the wrong hands could have just gone completely off the rails at so many points. They really do walk a very delicate tightrope with jokes relating to stuttering, incest, animal murder, homophobia, and yes, the Vietnam conflict. And while it certainly helps to have top-flight performers on board, like Klein, Curtis, and Palin, who not only deliver many of these jokes with a plum, but each had a gift for improv as well, it takes even more than that to construct a truly successful comedy. It takes hard choices with regards to editing, along with determining which characters to shift focus towards at different points in the story. And doing this for a feature-length story, sustaining it is even more difficult. Which is why farcical comedy along these lines often lends itself better to a 30-minute sitcom or three-act stage play. For collaborating on delivering the rare cinematic farce which works for its entire runtime, Charles Crichton and John Cleese are your co-MVPs. And I think this is a very, very strong 
thread that you find in both cultures' humour, which is really only moderated in recent years by the terror of television companies of doing anything that offends anyone. But the truth is, it's this stuff, the mean stuff, that really makes people laugh. The blander, safer humour may make them smile, but it doesn't produce the, the howls, the gut laughs that, that the slightly mean stuff does, and always has. My rating for A Fish Called Wanda would be five stars out of five. <laughs> Going back to 1988, to think that this movie hit theaters the same summer as Bull Durham, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big, Coming to America, and The Last Temptation of Christ, along with previous episodes Die Hard and Midnight Run. What a time to go to the movies. Happy 35th anniversary to one of the best comedies of the 1980s. And if you're looking to watch A Fish Called Wanda, it is currently streaming on Roku, Hoopla, Tubi, Canopy, and Pluto TV. And that ends another Across the Pond review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.